is it that you want to be known for? In your own life, in your own personal, family, work life, what is it you want to be known for above everything else? What is it you want to be have written on your tombstone at the end of your days? Uh, we, we do this throughout our lives, really. At different stages of our lives, we make choices about what we're going to be known for. So in school, when you're young, you make choices. What am I going to be known for as I go to this school? Am I going to... You make that choice when you go sit down at the lunch table the first day of school. Who am I going to sit with? I'm going to sit with uh, the sports kids, the popular kids, uh, the... The smart kids. Who am I going to sit with? This is what. I, this is how I'm going to be known for my school days. Uh, in your work life, you make choices about how you're going to be known. You're going to be known as the hard worker. You're going to be known as the kiss up to the boss. None of you, right? How 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 do you want people to know you? What do you want them to know about you? We make choices about this all the time on your Facebook profile. You make a choice about. How you're going to be known by others. And churches have to make this decision too. What are we going to be known for as a church? Churches make this decision. So some churches decide we're going to be known for what we are against. So we are going to preach about all the evils of this world. Everything that's wrong with the world. Everything that's wrong with uh, people around us. This is what we're going to be about. This is what we're going to be known for. Others decide we are going to be known for our political affiliation. And so there are some churches who they say, this is who we are. We are going to be about all the political stuff. We're going to make all the announcements of who you should vote for, maybe quietly, but in veiled forms. We're going to be all about political involvement because that's where we think it's at. Others are known for their awesome music. People go there because they're... uh, their music program, their choir, their band, it is perfect. It is a model of excellence. And this is what the church is known for. Others are known for uh, their social involvement, their social a- action. I'm happy that I, I think we as First Baptists are known for caring about the community. Right? We've made a choice that we are going to serve people in our community. I'm so thankful for those of you who work in the food closet who work for Sandwiches for Change, who drive buses for children to come and be a part of our VBS, we, we are known somewhat in our community for being involved, for loving the community, for serving those in the community. That's a good thing. Other churches are known for their amazing worship experiences on Sunday morning or for their pure doctrine. What is it that we want to be known for at First Baptist. What will we be known for? Maybe a better question than that is what does Jesus want us to be known for? As individuals, as a church, what is it that Jesus wants us to be known for? In our scripture this morning, Jesus is getting ready to leave His disciples. John and the other Gospels actually devote a lot of time to the last little bit of Jesus' life. And so we'll see the remaining chapters are just a very short period of time, the end of Jesus' life. And here Jesus is getting ready to leave, but what we notice in particular about this is that before He can leave, others start leaving Him. Jesus is leaving, but everybody's starting already to leave Him. 
We see it with Judas here at the beginning. I'll read those passages. John 13, beginning in verse 21. After Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to his disciple, this disciple, and said, ask him what he means. So leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is he? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you do, go and do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Jesus, Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. It's been in Judas's heart for a long time to leave Jesus. Jesus, just before this passage, the one we looked at last week, says, I'm not referring to all of you because I know those of you whom I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. And he's telling his disciples this so that when it happens, they will understand. So they, they will believe in Jesus as he is predicting one of his very own disciples, one who had been close to him throughout his ministry on earth, was going to betray him, hand him over. This means uh, treacherously uh, give information to the enemy so that he can be captured. And this one who I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. Judas is leaving Jesus and he's actually beginning Jesus' arrest and destruction. His turning over to the authorities to be crucified. But Judas isn't the only one who's leaving Jesus. Skip over the next part of our scripture, verses 31 to 35, and look at another one who's leaving Jesus. As Jesus is getting ready to leave, preparing his disciples for when he will leave, Simon Peter asks him, Lord, where are you going? And we'll see that Peter actually skips over this command, this very important command that Jesus is giving his disciples. He wants to know about, where are you, where are you going, Jesus? Why are you leaving us? And Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I want to do it now. I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter is one who makes grand announcements. Here he makes a grand proclamation confession about his his own willingness to die for his Savior and his Master. He has a great profession of what he will do for the Lord. And yet Jesus says, will you really? Now he says, you will follow me later, but not yet. Not right now. First, before you follow me in this, you're going to disown me. So Jesus is leaving his disciples, but they're all leaving him. We know that the other disciples as well, almost all of them turn their back on Jesus. You know what it feels like to have 
friends turn their backs on you? In your darkest moment, in your most difficult trial, what would that be like? How painful that would be? And this is exactly what's happening here. Jesus is getting ready to leave in a painful way. He's troubled in his spirit. We read this throughout the rest of the Gospel. He is, he's troubled at what's about to take place. His own friend betraying him. His own friends denying him, leaving him all alone to face the cruel cross all by himself. And so Jesus, as he's getting ready to leave, he, he speaks to them a new commandment. He gives them something to hold on to. Before he leaves, I want to leave you, before I leave, I want to leave you with this. And so when I was going a couple years ago on my trip to Romania, whenever you leave your family, whenever you leave your loved ones, and I was there at the airport saying goodbye to my family, and I said to the children, I said, now, I'm about to leave. Y'all be kind to each other. Please, please be kind to each other. Be, listen to your mother. Right? You do this sometimes too. When you're about to leave, when you're about to go on a trip, when you're going to go out of town, you leave your instructions just before you leave. These are the, this is what I want you to remember. These are the most important things for you to remember as I'm about to leave. And Jesus is doing it with His disciples. I'm about to leave you, but hold on to this. And look what He says. This is after Judas had left. Verse 31, when Judas was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will glorify the Son in Himself and will glorify Him at once. He is speaking here of how Jesus had glorified His Father all throughout His life of perfect obedience and fulfillment of the law. But now is the time when He is going to suffer and die for sinners. And this is where God's glory is seen above anything else. And the sacrifice of His Son for the salvation of sinners. Now comes when I glorify You, God. When I suffer in the place for sinners. This is going to bring You glory. This is where God's glory is seen. In the cross. And so Jesus says in verse 33, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, he had told it to the Jews before, but it was in a different way. He said to the Jews, you're going to die in your sins. I'm going to go to the cross. It's going to be you who send me there. You can't come where I'm going. You're going to die in your sins. But here he's telling it in love to his disciples. Look how he puts it, in, in loving devotion in the uh, most endearing way he can think of, my little children. My little children, I'm going away. Where I'm going, you're not going to be able to follow me. You can't come. And here are some of his last words to his disciples. Now you notice, in the next few chapters, he gives them more words. He speaks more words to his disciples, elaborating on all that they ought to do and ought to be, and elaborating on all that he is going to do. But here are his first words to them. A new commandment I give you. Verse 34. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. Love one another. All throughout the New Testament, we hear this command, love one another. Over 15 times in the New Testament, we read, love one another. 
In Romans 12.10, Paul says, Love one another with brotherly affection. In 1 Peter 1.22, Peter says, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And again in Romans 13.8, Owe nothing to anybody else except owe it to love one another. Owe love to one another. We read this command throughout Scripture. Love one another. And we think it's simple. Right, you've, seen, you've seen bumper stickers probably. Maybe you have one that says, uh, love God, love others. This is it's a simple statement of my religion, of what I believe, of what I believe I ought to do. Love God, love others. So simple, right? And so difficult. Impossible. Love one another. This is the command that Jesus gives His disciples. To love one another. Now we think that we have kept this command in many ways. We think that we do a good job of loving one another, right? We, also, we often say, maybe some people say, I love everybody. I just love everybody. I don't have any ill will towards anybody. I don't have any hatred towards anyone. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to do anybody wrong. I love everyone. And yet, absence of ill will is not love. Just simply avoiding wishing evil on someone else is not love. Even our southern niceness is not love. Now, I'm a southern boy born and uh, bred in the south, and I love the fact that southerners are nice, right? Don't you? That's something we love about our culture. I do too. And we ought to be kind to one another. 1 Corinthians 13 says, uh, love is kind. And so we ought to demonstrate this love to one another in kindness. And yet, there's so much more to love than simply being kind to others. Because you know, you know that you can hate someone in your heart and still show them that southern niceness, right? You can still be kind to someone outwardly, but inwardly there is this feeling of anger or hatred towards others. Why are you laughing at that? You know from personal experience, right? We think we have kept Jesus' command by being nice to one another, by not having ill will towards others, but love is so much more than simply not doing something. Love is a positive action, a positive command. So, like Paul said, love one another with brotherly affection. There is a feeling towards love. Do you have brotherly affection toward your brother in Christ? Brotherly affection? Brotherly love towards them? Do you... Have you committed yourselves to one another? You see this command is love who? One another. He's speaking to His disciples. He's speaking to the community of faith around Him. So this command is specifically not love everybody, but love one another. And so for us here at First Baptist, this means love one another. Love your church family in this amazing way, in this committed way, in this brotherly affection way. Love one another. And we know that we have not loved one another as we should. Right? Are we committed as we should be to one another here at First Baptist? Speaking in a, a precise kind of way? So it's 
confrontation time. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have not loved me. Oh, come on, y'all. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have not loved me as you should have loved me. Now that feels good, right? Secretly, that feels good to tell somebody else they don't love you. But now it's confession time. Turn to your neighbor and say, I have not loved you as I should have loved you. The truth of the matter is we have not been committed to one another as we ought to. You, we, we know what we ought to do. We know how we ought to love one another. Even, even those closest to us, we know I have not loved you as I should have loved you. I have not committed myself to you as I should have committed myself to you. I have failed. We say we love everybody, but really we have failed to love everyone as we should. Because love is not as simple as we think. Love is a lot more difficult than we think. And we have failed. And, and, then, and then Jesus ups the ante on us even more. We've already seen that we, we have failed to love as we should. And Jesus says, okay, now I'm going to push the standard up a little bit more. Because it was said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus makes it a new command. And He says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. So it's not just love one another as yourself. So we love ourselves. We take care of our bodies. We take care of uh, our things. We, we want to do well for ourselves. And yet Jesus says the standard is going to be even higher than that. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another more than you love yourself. Jesus says, here, let me show you how you ought to love one another. Let me show you what it means to love. It means to give of yourself, to sacrifice of yourself, to look, to look after the well-being of others above your own well-being, above your own safety and security and convenience. Look. To others is those who are more important than yourself. And this is exactly what Jesus does. He's just washed His disciples' feet in service to them in love. At the beginning of that passage it says, Now Jesus had loved them, those he, who He had loved, He had loved them to the end. He had loved them to the end. All the way to the end. All the way to the cross. And do you notice how John in his writing about this, puts Jesus' command to love one another right in between those who are leaving him. First we saw Judas betraying Jesus. And Jesus predicts Peter himself will deny him three times. And in the middle of these two predictions of betrayal and denial is this command, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This reminds us that Jesus loves His enemies. Jesus loves those who will deny Him. What does the Scripture say? While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died not for the righteous, not for the godly, but the ungodly. Christ died for those who rebelled against Him. Christ died for those who did not love as they should have, but hated their brothers in their hearts. This is how Jesus loves. 
a self-giving, sacrificial love for sinners. It might be one thing to die for someone who is good, for someone who is worth dying for, but to die for a sinner, for someone who is ungodly, See, ultimately, it wasn't Peter who would give up his life. It wasn't Peter who would lay down his life for Jesus, but Jesus who would lay down his life for Peter, the denier. You see, this is the quality of love that Jesus speaks of. Love one another as I have loved you. It is not Peter's bold confession that makes him right with God, but Jesus' bloody cross. It's not our loud proclamations of what we will or will not do for God, but what God has done for us in Christ. It's not our pronouncements about what we will sacrifice for Jesus, but what Jesus sacrificed for us that brings us into the presence of God in peace and in love. It's not our willingness to die for Jesus. That secures us the peace and love from God. It's Jesus' work for us. It's His perfect life. It's His death on the cross for sinners. It's love put on display as He dies on the cross for us, which assures us that God loves us in Christ. And now all who turn away from their sin and look to Jesus in His act of love for them, can be assured that they have the love of God. It's only by Christ, it's only by His love, that we have the love of God. And only when we receive this love, can we begin to give it up to others in this way. Only when we receive this love of Jesus that He poured out for us on the cross, are we able to love one another as Christ has loved us. So what, what does this love look like? What does this self-giving, sacrificial love look like? What does it look like to love one another as Jesus has loved us? First, I just want to suggest a few ways for us this morning. First, to love one another means to be devoted to one another. To be devoted to one another. To be committed to one another. One another's well-being It means you look after one another when you're sick. It means you visit one another when we're uh, in the hospital. It means that we care after one another. We make phone calls. We write cards because we love one another. We are devoted to one another. We care for one another. But it's not just those physical or emotional needs that we meet for one another. To love one another means to care for one another, especially spiritually. It means we are devoted to one another's spiritual well-being. Right? There is a temporary well-being, which we are wanting to meet people's needs. We're wanting to care for one another, to uh, help each other in this, in this physical life, in this temporary life. But then there's also eternal well-being. And we want to be devoted to one another's spiritual well-being. We want to help each other grow in Christ. We, wanted to be, we want to be devoted to helping one another grow in Christ. So that means, simply, one, that we gather together. We are present with one another because we want 
to grow one another. But we're not simply present when we come together outside of the gathering or when we come to the gathering. We, we need to be engaged as well. We need to engage our hearts and our minds in prayer, in the reading of the Scripture, in singing. Do you know how encouraging it is to see someone singing praise to the Lord from the bottom of their heart? You can kind of see that, right? You can kind of see if someone genuinely means it in worship to God or if they're just going through the motions. And you are being an encouragement to others when you sing. When you open up your Bible and read attentively, looking, God, what do you have for me today from your Word? How are you going to feed me? When you do that for yourself, you're doing it for one another too. You're showing love to one another because you are present and you are engaged in the worship of God. Be encouraging. To be devoted to one another means being encouraging to one another. Not only in our gathering here, but outside. When you go about your day, when you go about your week, thinking, okay, how can I be an encouragement to my brothers and sisters at First Baptist Church? How can I build them up spiritually? How can I look after them spiritually to help them grow, to help them become more like Christ? How can I encourage them to follow Jesus more? Because the result of loving one another is that everyone will know we are Jesus' disciples. This is the result that Jesus had in mind when He said, Love one another as I have loved you. This is how the world will know that you are My disciples if you love one another. So what do we want to be known for? Our rightness on all the issues, our, our political stance on certain issues, our voting power, our church attendance, our excellent music ministry, our social involvement. What do we want to be known for? What does Jesus want us to be known for? Our love for one another. Our love for one another here at First Baptist. He, Jesus wants us to be so devoted to one another, physically and spiritually so committed to one another, that others see that and say, yep, Jesus' is disciples. Those people belong to Jesus. How do I know that? Because they love each other so much. They're so devoted to one another. They're so committed to one another. Physically and spiritually. They have an, they have an others first attitude when it comes to their fellowship. They don't have a me first attitude. They want what's best for one another. Not for themselves. They sacrifice for one another. Yeah, they don't like things a certain way, but they sacrifice because someone else does. They sacrifice for the needs of others. They forgive one another. When someone does something wrong, they reconcile. They don't just leave and find another church. You see, it's hard to love. It's hard to love. It's hard to love one another as Christ has loved us. To love one another means to devote yourself to one another, to have an other's first attitude, to forgive. And finally, I don't want us to miss that to love one another means to partner with one another for the gospel. To partner with one another for the mission. One of the greatest ways we can express our love to one another 
is by seeking to expand the circle of the community of love. One of the greatest ways we can express our love for one another is by expanding the circle of the community of love. Look at John chapter 14. We're not going there yet, but we're just getting a peek ahead at what's coming next. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in in me. You know these verses. My Father has many rooms. If it weren't so, wouldn't I have told you that? Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. So that you may be where I am. The fact that Jesus is leaving reminds us that someday soon Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And so with one breath we cry, Come quickly, Lord. You cry that? Come quickly, Lord. I know you're coming back, but it it seems like it's taking so long. It's a couple thousand years. Come back, Lord. With one breath we cry, Come back quickly, Lord. But with another breath we say, Save some more. Save more before you come back. My loved one is not a Christian. My loved one doesn't know you. My loved one is not in the the community of believers, not in the circle, uh, the community of love. Save more, Lord. My neighbor down the street is not a believer. This one and that one, they don't believe. With one breath we cry, Come quickly, Lord. Come today if you would. But with another breath of compassion we say, Save more. And so in love and devotion to one another, we partner together for the mission. As we bow together, I want you to think about a few things. Let's bow our heads and respond to the Lord. In what ways, now that you have been completely saved by Christ and brought into this family, through the blood of Jesus, in what ways does God want you to demonstrate your love for one another? Who can you show love to this week, which you have failed to for weeks or months before? What divisions have not been healed What wrongs have not been forgiven? How might you devote yourself to loving the brothers and sisters of First Baptist Church so that we might be known for our love for one another?